It's a come-as-you-are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get committed to with the grooviest ghouls of all time. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! What up? This is Trev. Hi, this is Rachel from the Boo Crew, and this is episode number 43. And our guest this week is Michael Shavs, director of the upcoming film, The Curse of La Llorona. If you're listening to this episode at the time of release, the film opens this Friday, April 19th. Find out how his first short film unearthed a five-century-old legend. Tales of working on the haunted set. The dream come true of collaborating with James Wan. Creating nightmares for singer Billie Eilish and more. First, the Boo Crew is off to a ghoulish gathering in a segment we call The Boo Crew. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Haunted attractions, conventions, and experiences. Cuts to the front of the line with local haunts. I'm Trevor. I'm Tim. I'm Lauren. I'm Rachel. I'm Austin. I'm Leo. And we're We're the the Boo Crew. Crew. <laughs> we were on site this weekend for the 10th annual West Coast version of the Monster Palooza Convention in Pasadena, California, celebrating the art of monsters. That's true. Yeah. Those are facts. I was at Coachella, which is yeah. pretty yeah. fucking awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Oh, I would have been at Monster Palooza. Yeah, we miss you, Monster Palooza, but I go every year. If I'm in town, but the interrupters were playing Coachella. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's my family. I had to be down there. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Super, I, super cool. Well, monsters were seen and people were talked to. Yeah, it was really fun. Anybody have any favorite booths that they saw? Yeah, right off the bat, I mean, favorite of all of ours is the McGee booth, of course. Yep. You know, yep. Yeah, for sure. Oh my God. I know. It really leveled it up this year. It was Wizard awesome. of Oz monkey was really cool. That was, was my favorite. So cute. We were right by the Waxwork Records booth. They do stylized collector packages and multi special edition vinyl issues of your favorite horror soundtracks and stuff. I got the Babadook soundtrack. Leo, you picked something up. Yeah, I did. I got the Haunting of Hill House soundtrack. Oh, nice. Freaking awesome. Is it like marbled green vinyl or something? Yeah, it's uh, green and blue, actually. We got the Mad Monster Party. Oh, nice. Because, you know, Mad Monster Party. Of course. <laughs> I like the museum. That's always my favorite. It's a highlight, right? The museum is like a lot of life-size sculptures and busts that all these artists put off to the side in this museum. And there's a long line to get in every year. Trevor sent me some photos. There's some what monsters. This guy right here. Oh, uh, from that Elite Creations booth, that Shape of Water, water. in the water tank. Oh, that's yeah, cool. that's really cool. Those, yeah, those are really there's cool. Snoop. Yes. Oh, yeah, Snoop's head. <laughs> Yes. Rubber yes. Larry and his Snoop head. Yeah. Werewolf, that's oh, from nice. McGee's. McGee, McGee's yeah. booth. Uh, McGee. Henrietta yes. from Evil Dead, as made by Pat McGee, yep, for Universal's yeah. Halloween Horror Nights. That oh, the alien from the uh, museum. That's right. That was amazing. Who did that alien? Do you remember? It was so cool. Thanks for the photos, and also, like, it made me miss I was there. I was sad. Oh, we missed, we missed you. you. Yeah, we missed you were there you. in spirit. Yeah. Definitely. So you guys have a favorite monster? Dude, I, I think uh, well, a couple of things. You know, what Austin just mentioned the uh, the alien, you know, the Giger design. Uh, yeah, I don't know who sculpted that thing, 
But it was so cool because you could see right through his head. Yeah, like the, like oh, you saw like, the so brains. Good. Like it's so much detail inside of that thing. I think it's an exoskeleton skull. Yeah. Also, the pose was really unique. It was like kind of a praying or yeah. bowing pose, right. which I, you don't see an alien so do that. Cool. Right? It was real beautiful. There's a, really. there's a wall of puppets in the museum that was super creepy. Oh yeah, scary it's closet. Wall, yeah. Speaking of creepy puppet. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like James Wan's movie, A Dead Silence. Yeah. Did you see right. one of the puppets? Is a James Wan face yes i did see that, you know, oh, I, that. that. Yeah. Oh, I looked on it funny. back on instagram i think it was rachel took yeah. a boomerang or something yeah. a video and yeah the, one of the ones like the third shelf up is like james wan's face yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome funny. and they all move at like different times it was really creepy yeah i didn't uh, notice that at first and i thought i was going crazy yeah creaking sound did you meet anybody that might be a future guest on the boot crew oh, oh definitely dude the guy at the booth beside us we were like oh, with yeah. him all week and then we find out Can Hall. Yeah. Yeah, the the guy who wrote the original Puppet Master. And he's also a foam creature creator. And had since been doing it for over 30 years. Yeah. Just quietly being this quiet legend in the corner. We saw super nice guy. Guests that we had, previous guests that we had had, like Lydia Hurst and Ash Costello, they stopped by. Vanessa Mike Decker. Mendes. Yeah, Mike, Mike Mendez. Lots of fun. Yeah, people. met some new friends. I, Axel Carolyn was there. Uh, yeah, that's right. Axel. All, um, what was the name of the guy who did the Hills Run Red who was with uh, Mendez? Dave Parker. Yep. He was there. Yeah. That was cool. Like you'd be talking to someone and then you'd be like, oh shit. He directed yeah. Night of the Demons or whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah. It was really, really cool. Yeah, like I'm, at the, I'm at the director reunion. of Rings, the sequel to The Ring. He gave me a little insider tip that he's got a new horror movie coming out going straight to cons. Those details will be released soon. One of my favorite things, though, was meeting people who actually listen to the show. That was so fun. That was super awesome. Yeah. And everybody was so nice. I know uh, Raven and Brittany. Joe Risotto was there. Yep. Karen Payton. Sammy Ruiz. That guy's in a band, too, man. So, like, Highland Park somewhere. He's got the, he does the whole rockabilly thing. Christopher Moore. Sarah Caitlin. Uh, Danielle Squires. Taryn Foreman. Lovely Elena. James Perez. Man, you kept a running list. Dude. Holy shit. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm you good. Wow, you're we, on we talked it. to all them, man. You know, Raven Sahara. Brittany Riddell, Candice Jean, and of course, Aaron Walsh and Alicia Vedder came yeah. to support. Yeah. OGBC. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Also, the 3D space had a booth there. Basically, a museum that really highlights and preserves and also educates people on 3D. Highly recommend. They're actually featuring the creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. Something to check out if you're into 3D. Yeah, they had a sequence there on a big monitor. You could go and watch it in 3D, the swimming sequence. We missed that. 3D. That's cool. We miss that? That's cool because most people don't realize that that was originally filmed in 3D, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, correct. And probably all of us did not see it that way the, the first time around. Very few people. Yeah. Although, Trevor, you were telling me that your kids have never not seen it in 3D. That's right. The 2012 Universal Classic Monsters Essential Collection Blu-ray box set has Creature from the Black Lagoon oh. in the new 3D. Oh, that's cool. For 3D TV. So, yeah, nice. I showed him, showed him Creature. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Especially in black and white 3D, it looks fucking yeah, rad. Yeah, Amazing. It's, cool. it's like a sequence. Super I've only seen clear. that sequence. So 3D Space does uh, screening every month, once a month at the Downtown Independent here in LA. I don't know what they have. I haven't taken a look at their calendar yet, but goddamn, I'm excited to see some 3D movies. <laughs> I can't believe we, get, we didn't mention these guys. 
One Eye Open Productions. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ron yeah. and Mario were there. Yes. yes. With their new pins and yeah, shirts and everything. And they're going to yeah. get hoodies. I'm so excited. Yeah, those guys are awesome. Make sure yeah. you follow them, too. They always got a pulse on what's awesome coming out. They're everywhere, man. Those guys live like a million miles away, but they're everywhere horror in L.A. Every event, they're there. I uh, love how much they love horror. I really do. And, dude, they love us. They're always at our events. Yes. Yeah, they support everything, man. Yep. Not only us, but they support every other director, writer, <laughs> and actor locally yeah. doing horror. It's, yeah. it's seriously really, really, uh, really awesome. Can't wait for next year. Hell yeah. And Son of Monster Palooza coming up too. Midsummer Scream coming up too before that. It's insane. And then Halloween before you know it. Just around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see anything wrong with, with innocent children going throughout the neighborhood innocently collecting innocent candy, which could be poisoned on the night they call Halloween, which is also the night that Satanists and witches sacrifice animals and sometimes human beings. I suppose you have no problem participating in that either. Grab your popcorn, fright fiends. It's the Boo Crew all up in your program. Ooh, she gonna get your kids, gonna get your kids. In the film directed by Michael Schaus, your owner. La 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 la, your owner. Donde están mis hijos? This is Michael Shavs, and you are drowning in another episode of The Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Can I ask you a question, Father? Do you know anything about La Llorona? The Weeping Woman. It's a folktale. Michael Shavs, we're so excited to have you here. Your career so far in the industry is what Hollywood dreams are made of. As an independent filmmaker, you directed a series of short films and the commercials for clients such as Sony, AT&T, and Disney, as well as created the sci-fi comedy digital series Chase Champion that was distributed by Nickelodeon. In 2016, you directed, wrote, and produced the horror short called The Maiden that premiered on Bloody Disgusting and won the Best Super Short Horror Film Award at Shriekfest. For this short, you were discovered by James Wan and execs from his Atomic Monster production company, which landed you the first feature film, The Curse of La Llorona. And if that wasn't already so cool, in 2018, it was announced that you would direct the third installment to the wildly popular and super chilling Conjuring film series. In a quote from James Wan, he says, your ability to bring emotion to a story and understanding of mood and scares makes you the perfect fit to direct the next Conjuring film. And with all of that, you directed the hauntingly creepy music video for the single Bury a Friend from the singer-songwriter Billie Eilish. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Michael, for being here. Yay. Thank you. Welcome to the Welcome to the Boo Crew. Welcome to the Boo Crew. <laughs> thank you, guys. That is so nice to you. I'm so excited oh, to be here. Oh, thank you, thank you. Your short film, The Maiden, filmed in Los Angeles, is centered on a real estate agent trying to sell a house. Tell us why you decided to make the haunted house genre your horror calling card, and what were some of your influences? Well, you know, I grew up on watching scary movies and horror movies. I was working in commercials and, you know, really just trying to do something to break through, you know, to break in. I always wanted to do a a feature. And, you know, there was a series of things that kind of were like setbacks, like that Chase Champion thing that actually felt like that was going to be really exciting. It was this, it started off as a digital series with Nickelodeon. It was just on fire. They loved it. It was really kind of weird and funny. It was a kid's show. For whatever reason, you know, it didn't take 
off. So I was really bummed and I did this like super moody music video at the time. And, and then I was like, you know what? I just need to channel this. I need to just go back to my roots, capture that spirit of the movies that I grew up with. So I was trying to think of, you know, something to do. And I wanted to do a short film for a while. And I think it actually coincided literally with the first Conjuring because I was like, I'm going to do a haunted house short film because that's just like so classic. I love the Haunted Mansion is at Disneyland. We're already <laughs> yeah. talking about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this place is a... It looks it. like yeah. the Haunted Mansion it outside does. with the pillars and stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wanted to do something Haunted House story. And then I think I saw the first Conjuring and I was like, shit. They already did it. <laughs> James basically like took all of the elements of a haunted house movie and he just kind of threw it together and, you know, made this like incredible film. And I was so both like in awe of it and then humbled. I was like, I just can't do that right now. And I kind of put it on the back burner for a while. I think I was watching like some old Breaking Bad and I was like, there's probably a new way into it. There's probably this kind of great story about what is the side of the haunted house story that we've never seen. And I started thinking about like, well, it always starts with them moving in. You know, even the, the Conjuring starts with the family moving in. And right. I just thought like, wait a second. What if we just like rewind it a little bit further and take it back? And I was like, the real estate agent, she probably has or he has an incredible story, you know, about like about that. And they must know what's going on. And I think that also coincided with me buying like my first house. Of course, as you're doing that, I'm naive with that whole purchase. And I'm like, I feel like I'm always being taken advantage of or you're kind of going around and you, <laughs> yeah. you feel like, oh, this this house isn't good. This is probably flipped <laughs> right. or or there's bodies buried somewhere. And you just always feel like you're not getting the straight story. Cause, and so I started channeling that. I kind of came up with that story. And I think my original intention was to make that as kind of a proof of concept and then spin it into you know, a movie. And I was like, I'm going to produce it myself. And plan A, I get the support of someone like James Wan or Cameron Del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> who could like shepherd it like wouldn't that be amazing and then I was like plan B you know maybe I'll just get independent financing and plan C I just do it on my iPhone so I'll just like shoot this I'll get some actors together and then I'll just like put together uh, you know the movie on my iPhone so really it was a proof of concept shot it put it together it was crazy because my wife was pregnant at the time and you know I have two kids I was telling you about yeah I put it online and then a couple days later she gave birth and she gave birth just oh. like a little bit earlier than expected nothing was wrong with it but it was uh, a little bit earlier than expected so i kind of forgot i put it online my son was born and within a week there was like swirl of activity a swirl of calls i got my first agent who is james wan's agent signed with him in the room and he turned to me and said like literally after shaking his hands he was like listen there's a script over at new line it's the story of la llorona i knew about la llorona because you know i grew up in you know southern california and i heard it as like a ghost story that was kind of you know passed around by friends i always wanted to do something with like a legend and i just thought like oh this is awesome this is really cool this was on a friday and wow. my son was born like literally a week before. He's like, okay, we're going to send over the uh, script, read it over the weekend. You're going to go in and meet with them on Monday. Wow. And, it's um, that quick. Oh it was my that God. quick. Jeez. It was literally that quick. Oh my gosh, like lightning fast. <laughs> yeah. And you know what was insane is when I was going in on that Friday, when I was going in to meet with um, my agents or the, you know, the guys who became my agents, I got a uh, an email from um, Michael Clear, who's basically runs James Wan's company. And he was like, James just saw your short. He really likes it. He would love to be in business together and I was freaking out. It was like I, I still so cool. remember it. And I was having like dinner with my parents that night also and I was I literally came back like on fire. I was like, guys, you're not gonna believe it. <laughs> I have a script to read. I'm signed with an agent. I'm gonna be making a movie. Read it over the weekend and it was awesome. And there was already 
already so many of the great sequences were already built into it. It was really an exciting read. I really loved it. I was also just dying to make a movie. I've wanted to make a movie, especially like a scary movie, a horror movie all my life. So freaking out. Monday I went in and I think I was just so like overtired from just having a kid yeah. and yeah, elated sure. and just like I was just totally elated through the meeting. I was like, you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like seven guys in Zodiac. <laughs> oh, and I literally walked out of that meeting. I was like, those were probably the two wrong references to get for this movie. It is not really like seven or Zodiac. But good movies. Yeah, yeah. Good movies. Good movies. They hired me just a, a few weeks uh, later and they had been looking for a director for a long time. And I think that. They totally looked past my terrible movie references and they just, you know, they just really liked the short and they were like, James liked the short. And there was also a lot of things with it that just like you guys saw the movie that it just kind of felt like an echo of the short. They really dug it. They hired me. And um, the crazy irony of that story is my boy was born. He has been growing up, you know, and as he's like, you know, walking, we go into production. There's all these kind of like parallel benchmarks. The movie is released this weekend on the 19th. He turns three this Saturday. So oh, wow. it's like three years of, wow. uh, of a journey. And so Great. he's kind of the benchmark of it. Wow. That's amazing. So cool. You know, prior to this movie, the best version of La Llorona was the Got Milk commercial. I never saw oh. that one. Oh. Yeah, Leo's been sending yeah. it to us. I, mean, I didn't watch it yet. It's so funny, guys. It's super funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who made the commercial, but apparently it only aired here in California in uh, 2004, I think. But it's a short, you know, one minute commercial. Scary? Just, yeah, it's creepy. You know? Well, yeah, she, she has no milk. Yeah, she has no milk. <laughs> <laughs> so she, yeah. She's, she's wandering through scaring people. Like, people are freaking out and you hear her and you see her kind of pass through the walls and then she opens the fridge. Yeah, she's very happy. She sees the milk, tilts her head back and it's empty. And then she starts weeping again. Oh. <laughs> oh, I think I have seen that. That's crazy. Floating back through the I kitchen. I totally forgot about that. You guys need to send that to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, funny. the Maiden, it's an amazing short. It's such an incredible display of not only your understanding of, but your appreciation for horror and a showcase for what you bring to the genre that's very different. I was wondering if you could talk about some of the challenges or advantages of delivering characters, scares, and style with parameters such as limited running time, budget, limited time with actors, limited number of actors. Yeah, you know, I think it came down to the um, fact that I only had two days to shoot it. I was shooting it uh, over the weekend. And, you know, before this, my day job was directing commercials. So I just like rallied together the guys I would do commercials with. And I said, I need some help. Can you just like give me two days over the weekend so we could do this little uh, short film? So I already knew like two was probably the max of days I could ask these guys to help me out. And so I was like, I got to be really smart with what I shoot and what I do. My hesitation with shorts is the majority of them are so boring. I always watch shorts online and the majority of them, I hate to say, are just don't connect with me or they're so patient. They really take their time as if it's like, you know, that you're, you're watching Lawrence of Arabia. And I just thought, <laughs> I, you know, I want something that just jumps out at you. And it's like from the word go, like just doesn't give like, you know, it's really is precious with your time and really like Deliver a scare. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to jam pack it with scary stuff and scary moments and builds and payoffs and builds and payoffs. Just, I think, as a response of just watching a lot of short films. And I, especially as I, like, you know, ramped up to the production, I was just watching short film after short film. There's a lot of short films that, like, you know, hard to connect with. So that was the biggest thing going into it. I think that that's also the reason that James liked it. That's the reason New Line liked it is they build their movies around scares. That's like one of the biggest things going into it. And, you know, as you're developing it, you're like, okay, what are the scare sequences? What's going to be scary about this and building those pieces. And so 
I think that that was, I mean, we were very like-minded with that and they could just see that with a short. We were in the Beckett house for Delusion. I don't know if you've ever heard of Delusion or know what it is. Oh yeah, is it a maze or no? It's a... It's like an it's immersive like haunted, haunted play. play. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I think I, I have heard about that. It's really fun and that was our first one, right? Yeah, yeah. The first one they did was in that Beckett house. And it was super creepy. Did anything creepy happen when you were filming there? Not at the Beckett house. It was so scary Yeah. That nothing weird happened there. We were also shooting during the day. I didn't have money for lights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I was like, okay, so we're doing this during the day. <laughs> or we had like one light and we used it in the basement. We didn't have like a lot of budget. I actually kind of like that because there is something great about daylight scares. You know, I feel totally, like yeah. just kind of like moving into the shadows, kind yeah. of moving in and out of that. I love like naturally lit films and I think that there's something really, you know, or just, you know, that vibe. I think that that vibe's really cool. But absolutely just necessity being the mother of invention. Back to the scares. Nothing creepy happened there, but some weird stuff happened at the house we shot La Llorona in. Ooh. Oh, the family's house? Is it the Garcia's house? Yes. Is really? That, is that yeah. here in LA? Yeah, it's here in LA. It's mid city. I'm blanking on, I probably shouldn't give away the exact. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> but, you know, really nice neighborhood, really unassuming house. And it's, we actually shot in, the guy who owned it owned two properties. They were back to back. The main house that you see in the movie, upstairs we couldn't go into. It was uh, basically these, uh, three college kids rented it out. <laughs> nice. So we just shot downstairs. And then for the upstairs, we did a couple things. We went to like his other house and then we shot the upstairs. And then we also built a couple pieces on stage. And then we did the backyard on the Warner Brothers ranch. So it's like, oh, wow. it's like a Frankenstein wow. house experience. It's like super smooth. You yeah. never, it feels seamless. Yeah, totally oh, seamless. Thanks guys. Yeah. I love the period piece aspect of La Llorona. Do you like shooting period pieces? Is there a challenge behind doing that? Yeah, no, I love it. I love the texture with it. I think the big advantage with telling a story you know, at that time or just anything pre-internet is right. the internet. The internet is such kind of such a buzzkill of storytelling. If you were getting haunted by La Llorona, you just Google La Llorona. Right. <laughs> that's not very cinematic. You know, there is something great about the journey of discovery and, you know, asking questions and going places and stuff. And same thing with cell phones. It's funny, I started like saying that to New Line. I was like, that's what's so great about the script being set in the 70s. And they were like, exactly. That's exactly it. And I think that it's something and I think you see a lot of movies being set pre-internet because there's something just great about that. Right. And I'm wondering how long is that going to be a necessity? Will we ever just embrace the internet as like, okay, well, we have to come up with stories where you're watching people Google. All <laughs> <laughs> well, those screen movies, right? Yeah, like right, Unfriended yeah. and The Dark Certain, Web. Yeah, exactly. Those. Yeah. yeah, those are great. Yeah. I really, I love those movies. That's a whole other like subgenre now. It's the one company. It's the guy who did that Russian director uh, to the vampire movie Timur uh, Timur I forget the last name where you're going totally. is correct so in terms of something uh, of freaky things happening on set I know that Raymond Cruz had an encounter with something freaky huh? yeah he had this protective bracelet that he, he wore and it was this beaded bracelet in one of the takes he, he was standing off against La Llorona he was saying a prayer and then the bracelet snapped the strange thing it was like three of the beads were just like perfectly snapped in half it's hard to kind of explain but like you would understand like one snapping that's enough but for three of them to have these identical snaps like breaks in the center was very strange it was also kind of in the moment you know it's hard because you're in that headspace you know when you're starting to do a scary movie you're you're already thinking about like <laughs> yeah, oh it's right, real right. Like, is coming for us and so you <laughs> kind of take any little thing that happens and you're like it's absolutely real it's happening like is coming the crazy thing that i didn't experience this but a pa on our um on the film told me the story basically we all went to lunch one day. It was during the day. One guy left behind on Firewatch. So he's there to just make sure, as you guys know, you know, nothing burns down, as the name implies, and no one runs off with anything. 
and um, the house is empty and he hears footsteps upstairs. Whoa. Oh. Which he described to me and he was like, he was like really quick. It was like, bum, 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 bum. Kind of like a kid. <laughs> and having kids you know like when they run there's something really unsettling about it where it's like because it's you'll hear it every once in a while here (laughs) as he's telling the story he's like listen i thought it was just a member of the crew and he goes upstairs because no one was supposed to be up there not for any creepy reason just like it was the the girls were renting those were their rooms he's being responsible and he's checking room by room he checks first room totally empty second room totally empty third room totally empty bathrooms empty no one's up there and he swears and he comes down and then the location manager is like coming in and he's telling the story and he's like, you know, it's the girls, it's the girl. And they're, he's like, no one's up there. I swear to God, I heard like uh, footsteps. We never got to the bottom of it. We don't, you know, I don't know if it was an animal. I don't know what it is. We started sharing it with a guy who owned the two properties. He said, oh yeah, that house is haunted. Oh, oh. nonchalantly. Like, yeah, by the way. nonchalantly. <laughs> and he said, yeah, the girls have heard things. He's like, that's totally a thing. We like, there's things in the house. And I'm like, you're serious? And it really, and you know, I'm a total skeptic with those things, but I'm also, I don't know. Sometimes I think that people are skeptics just because they're so scared about it that they don't want to like really admit <laughs> that they're, you know, vulnerable or scared of that stuff. And I don't know that, you know, and it kind of that story and then a couple others just like spread through the, the crew. And so in every James Wan Conjuring Universe movie spinoff, he has a priest come in to bless the sets. Was that the case in this? Uh... Yeah, we had a priest in the beginning. In the end, we had a Curandero come in and give uh, Olympias. And that was that was awesome. That was a really wonderful spiritual experience. I've never had a Olympia and it was uh, cleansings yeah exactly they kind of take sage and waft it over you you know it's like raymond does that in the movie and you know it was uh it was cool. It was a really cool experience. The movie takes place in a really unique version of L.A., not only in the 70s, but it's also got this like cloudy haze over it, which is pretty, it's not normal for movies based in L.A. It was really cool. Yeah, you know, she's a water ghost, a water spirit. I mean, that was something that, um, you know, and we were juggling like how many rain days, if we could bring in like rain, and that became really problematic for a couple of sequences. I wanted to be moody. I wanted to always feel like, you know, she was just kind of, she descended into Los Angeles and she was kind of looming over uh, the family and everyone. Well, you know, I love props. You can tell by our house. <laughs> My question is, did you keep anything? Were you able to keep anything from La Llorona? Yes. I yes. Uh, I actually, um, <laughs> I kept uh, La Llorona's necklace. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, wow. There's a couple of them. It's funny. I don't know if anyone <laughs> The prop master came up to me afterwards and he was like, uh, he was like, here it is. And it's crazy because I designed it. I was, you know, we were literally up against the gun and we had a concept artist who just did not come through. And I was like, listen, I'm just going to Photoshop a bunch of different uh, like necklaces together. And so I just cobbled it together. I was like, it'll have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. The actual design is just um, a little bit of uh, my illustration, a little bit of Photoshop. And yeah, that's uh, so beautiful. I love the costume. Like her costume is just so amazing. And I would love that or the umbrella and then the necklace. When I watch movies, I look for props. If I could have anything, it would be this, this, and there were some awesome props in it. Oh, we got to get you one then. We got to get you one. Yes, that would be awesome. Who designed the actual La Llorona ghost? She looked amazing. The dress was designed by Megan Spatz. She did an incredible job. You know, there was a lot of things that went into it. It was really tricky to design La Llorona. You know, it's hard to place her in an actual time period. And I think we do have a, a time card in the movie but you know it's hard to really like say it's specifically this because the dress of the the period if we were being really accurate it's not exactly that it kind of is this kind of timeless amalgamation of a bunch of different kind of period dresses 
really because we wanted something that was a little timeless, a little bit, because we didn't want to make it a period dress. We're not making a period movie with it. It needed to have its own character, so it kind of was a combination of all these different things. And the dress was super textured. She's been, like, for hundreds of years, like, going through the mud and muck, and, you know, there was, like, little kind of handprints in there that you never see because you barely see La Llorona, but there was so much kind of, like, dark texture in it. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, of, like, the kids that she took. Oh, nice. In terms of the look, that was, like, one of the most fun things that we did. We had an incredible um, makeup artist, Gage Munster, and Eleanor Saviqua, and she was amazing as well, and we basically just designed it together, and we went through a bunch of different iterations. It was, like, basically a week of just different explorations, and that was so fun. You know, I grew up, like, loving monster makeup. As a kid, I was like, I think I want to make do monster makeup because it's like the blood and latex molds and all that stuff it seems like so gooey weird like awesome (laughs) and so to actually work with someone who knew what they were doing with that was amazing you know and so we explored all these different looks there was one that was really cool that was but you know at the end it was just too zombie I think when we all stepped back we were like ah she looks like a zombie we can't do Mm -hmm. that and there were some where she looked more human and with all of these you know would pitch it to James and James always gave such great guidance he was like you know this is cool you know but like what about this and he was like, this is cool. What about this? And so we kind of just circled back and landed on the look that we have, which is really this kind of porcelain white version of her, which is kind of the classic version of La Llorona. When you, you know, mm-hmm. do a Google search of La Llorona, you see this uh, image. When you talk to people, it's usually that kind of the black tears and the porcelain white. Such a scary character. Is there any plans to maybe do a maze with her? Because I'd love to see a La Llorona maze, either horror made here or... Someone told me is there was actually a universal maze a few years years ago. Yeah, there yes. was. Wow. I would love to see that. I mean, the press junket, like I was telling you guys about, was basically done a little bit like a maze. You know, they kind of, you know, were on the back lot of Warner Brothers, yep. you know, they kind of brought these like holograms a la Llorona, and then you would hear her shouting and screaming and I mean, that was the, just the biggest thrill. I mean, to, it was amazing. It, right? It felt like a theme park. Uh, yeah. You know? I, yeah, I hope that yeah. more people will be able to get to experience that yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, it was really, really special. You know, it's amazing that this legend goes back like what, 500, 600 years maybe or so? It's taken so long to get to this point to make this movie, make it done right. Can you give us a quick synopsis of the legend for those who don't know? This is the take that we took <laughs> on the legend. <laughs> right. Going into it, of course, I want to make the definitive lie you're on a story. So I, we were like, this is what I heard. Let's do a bunch of research. Let's talk to people. Let's talk to people's grandmothers. Right. Let's We interviewed Curanderos. The crazy thing about it is the more you dig, the more you research, the more fractured and crazy the legends get right. and the more variations you get. And there's one very where this beautiful woman, she would take the shape of a beautiful woman and she would actually go after, this is a Curandera told me this. And I said, sir, she goes after young kids. And he says, oh no, 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 no. She's a beautiful woman. And she goes after cheating husbands. (laughs) And she will lure the unfaithful down to the river. And then right when they're at the river, she will turn and she has this horse face. And this is all... (laughs) 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 Scary. I was like, what? A horse face? I was like, that is its own awesome <laughs> but that might not go uh, fit into ours you know and so so yeah it was a process of narrowing it down and I think that the core idea that we really liked about it is just you know she is the taker of kids she is this ultimate boogeyman to answer your question the story goes that um, you know she was once this beautiful woman the most beautiful woman in, in all of Mexico she caught the eye of this rich ranchero they marry they have two beautiful boys and it's your classic fairy tale ending but the story goes on the boys grow up up or are growing up they're still kids one day she catches her husband in the arms of a younger woman Mm -mm. and she goes (laughs) insane she grabs the two kids drags them down to the river and she murders them both drowning them in the water 
and she comes out of her kind of madness, her haze, and she's cannot live with herself. She's looking at the bodies of her two young boys and she throws herself into the waters, killing herself. From that moment on, she's cursed to walk the earth for all eternity, looking for the souls of her her young boys or the souls of other children to take their place. That's the story in a nutshell. That's the story I grew up with. I grew up with this legend, by the way. Awesome. My grandmother, my mom, my uncles, my aunts. I mean, I grew up in, you know, in the LA area. We'd go to outdoor events, parties at Griffith Park, Legion Park. Once the sun started to set, yeah. it became like, hey, don't go too far. You better be good or Lyodorna's going to come get you, you know? And you're like, what are you talking about? Then they start telling you the story. And that's the exact story that they would tell. They would tell you at night that she'll come for you. If you're not a good kid, she's going to come for you. And this is what she does. She roams the hallways and you hear her crying. If you hear her nearby, you're screwed. Now, this is what she would say. She would be crying and she would say, Ay, donde están mis hijos? Creepy as hell. <laughs> what? I I that. You should be in the movie, Leo. No, seriously. I was like, why did we not cast you? Could have been the current arrow. <laughs> Raven would have been very sad. <laughs> I find it so funny that to this day, adults, people older than me, people my age, you know, still believe in it. It's like, it's not just a kid thing to scare you. It's like, she's out there. Yeah, I love how it's the story that's told to kids. There's something, I mean, also as an outsider, it's something so messed up about that. It's yeah. like basically... This woman who murdered kids right. is coming after you if you don't behave. Yep. It's so awesomely dark. <laughs> like, that's fantastic. <laughs> that was something that really appealed to me. And, you know, just that spirit. And, you know, we were trying to channel that in making the movie. The idea of this kind of, it's definitely from like as much as we could from a kid's perspective. And, you know, you're definitely put in these kind of kid situations like being in a car at night. You know, that's something that I remember as a, as a kid. I don't know why my mom was leaving me in a car at night. <laughs> I don't know, like getting groceries or something. I don't know. You just like. That feeling of just, you know, being in a locked car and then just feeling like vulnerable and trapped or like hiding under furniture. And there's something just really fun about that. And I think we can all relate to it. Any scenes that were a real challenge to shoot? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, it was it was all a journey. You know, the bathtub scene was really hard. It was also just tricky with the logistics of it. She's, of course, you know, in a bathing suit as we're shooting that. And it's just it's really tricky, just the logistics of it and coordinating everything. We had a tight schedule. This is not a big budget horror film. This was a really uh, tightly scheduled, tightly funded <laughs> film. We didn't have like a lot of days to do each one of these sequences. So it's like I storyboarded the entire movie. It was funny because like this giant comic book that I you know put around the uh, the office and I bring everyone through it. Every shot had to be planned. Every moment had to be planned. We just had to work so incredibly fast. The thing I like about the film is the fact that you used a lot of practical effects. The fact that actually La Llorona is actually a woman. That she's someone who's physical, who's there. James Wan's universe is great about bringing like the nun had the great Bonnie Aarons and now now we have the La Llorona. I'm just wondering how was that to have the actual person there to do it? It's practical effect. You know, it was incredible. I mean, I think it was kind of essential. I think that that really grounds the movie and it's those moments, especially for the actors. I think that everyone gets into it a lot more when you're actually seeing a woman in makeup, when you're seeing someone on set and it's just it's so much easier to engage. I mean, also Marisol's delivered an awesome performance. She's yeah. just savage and had this incredible energy to it. And like I would hear these, um, that documentary, uh, Sleep No More, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, mm -hmm. documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six hours long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's long, right? Yeah. I think it was like Wes Craven was talking about like casting the role of Freddy and getting Robert Englund and just how um, he was the only guy that really scared him. He really just like the performance was unnerving. And it was the same thing with Marisol. She really was so savage and dark. And she actually didn't even come in originally for La Llorona. She came in 
for the role of Patricia. But her take on Patricia was so dark. <laughs> it was really unsettling. The crazy thing is Marisol is just lovely and hilarious and really fun. And once she breaks, she totally breaks. And it's like, thank God she's not crazy and going <laughs> to kill your, uh, your kids. Um, but yeah, she really, I mean, I think that that got the adults scared. Of course, it got the kids really scared. And, you know, she was just essential with that. But practical effects, I mean, I think that people can feel it. I think that even if you're using like visual effects that are subtle and very realistic, I do think that there's something about there's a, an awareness audiences have about what's real and what's not what was it like working with joe bashara on the soundtrack because it's a, a phenomenal soundtrack you can practically hear the wood creaking in between the strings on some of that <laughs> stuff it's beautiful thanks so much he was amazing joe is um you know i was a big one of the things that i loved when i first saw the conjuring was the score i mean i think i loved that just equally with the uh, the movie and i bought the soundtrack immediately and i would just play it for like creepy inspiration <sighs> all of his stuff is so great and unsettling and each track is unique each album's unique or like you know each soundtrack's unique with him when i first met with him because i'm the king of like terrible references and i was like <laughs> have you ever seen the mission oh the yeah. robert de niro movie yes the ennio morricone score mm -hmm. you know how it has those like aztec death whistles the story while you're running there's a lot of origins or people like think it might be inspired by different things and you know it's like sirens and all these sort of like kind of like an amalgamation of different legends but then there's one thing that uh, people point to which is um the story of la malinche which she right. was cortez's mistress that's right and so as he's conquering the new world he captures this indigenous woman who was a legendary beauty she becomes his from a captive from a slave she becomes his mistress she gives birth to two children two boys the first modern you know mexicans the the combination of the indigenous and and spanish um origins right so there's all of these like la your own parallels with that and it's crazy because i and the, you know to this day la malinche is like kind of basically she helped with cortez's uh conquest kind of brokering peace or being like a translator and you know some people say that was amazing because she actually saved all these lives and then other people say well she actually betrayed the indigenous people so there's something about that kind of core betrayal which is like i think woven into the la your story about mm, you know you know betraying your children you know your duty as a mother betraying your people like la malinche so long story that was my ted talk guys but <laughs> 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 i hear that i'm like that is fascinating because you it's like this story has endured for so many years it's like you know why you know what is the kind of and i think it's because it's the story of mexico rewind i was like i want something that feels like old and indigenous oh, that score is so damn powerful and even though it's like you know it's kind of achingly epic and you know everything i was like those whistles are so cool also even the name and he knew it immediately immediately i was like you know that kind of the whistles and he just jumped on it this is back to the joe bashar he was like the aztec death whistles <laughs> like, i've yes, got six joe. of them <laughs> i'm surprised you didn't cast him as la llorona <laughs> He's, you know, he's always the witch, the demon. He's yeah, the yeah. Is. No, exactly. We were looking at, I know it sounds crazy. We were looking at guys for La Llorona because I just thought I want her to look like really unique and messed up. But then we kind of, you know, we're playing with the idea of like, I don't know, it would be great if she could turn human or there could be, you know, we could see a flashback and not to reveal anything that happened.
happens in the movie, but we decided to go with Marisol, who is an incredible performer and also just beautiful in real life. And so kind of hit all the check boxes. So that was her under the makeup as well. Yes. Cool. People are surprised by that, which I think is a tribute to like both our right. the makeup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's like creatures or monsters or ghosts in this case. There's a choreography involved in it too. So there's a bunch of skills there, right? Totally. Like, like even at the bathtub, like the way there's certain fingers grab or land on the porcelain at a certain time or, you know, there's a choreography there and it takes an elevated understanding, I think. Yeah, no, totally. She was actually, I don't know if she plays piano or whatever. She has like perfect like digits, like perfect like articulation <laughs> yeah. of totally. her hands, you know, because that is usually something you're like okay we're gonna bring in the creature performer for this right moment. right right you know but now she come on it. doug jones come on in right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> there's gonna be a la Llorona sequel number two and also would you want to direct it in terms of a sequel i think it depends on how the movie does whenever we show to audiences they love it it's always a great theater going experience the weekend that follows there's a little movie called avengers which is coming out which <laughs> will totally add some competition to the film. <laughs> but i think we're going to actually take that weekend yeah, also yeah. i get a good i, I think it's two weekends yeah. in a row and then it'll start to decline right. and then avengers <laughs> will come back in and people will start seeing that, that you know movie. it's gonna it's gonna actually it's gonna do very well because I've been monitoring like all sorts of boards and YouTube channels and stuff. And you look at the Hispanic people commenting. They're excited for it. They're like, can't wait. Can't wait. Got my tickets. And same thing. We're at Monster Palooza. Talking, you know, horror fans. Same thing. They can't wait. It's funny. There is so much like data and metrics that go into it. And so the studio has been kind of sending it over. And it's like, there's definitely like a lot of interest and a lot of growing energy. So I'm just like, fingers crossed. I'm so excited for this oh, weekend. I'm man. so yeah. nervous and excited. <laughs> to answer your question, sequel really depends on uh, the success of the film and I would love to come back for a sequel I really you know have gotten so connected to the story and there's also like you can only cram so much into a movie both in like scares and then ideas and I feel like it was already jam-packed as it is and then um, there was still stuff that we couldn't do you know there was all these boards and sequences that never made it and you know I think we might be putting some of those on the um, blu-ray or digital and my editor actually cut it together as like an animatic so they play really well I was like this is great the sequences are actually still scary I mean I think the only twist for that would be if we wanted to use those for something else so I'm like maybe we shouldn't put them on <laughs> put them in the archives I shouldn't give it away <laughs> oh I wanted to bring up that incredible video you shot for Billie Eilish and how you fell into that and how you were selected for that it was a very important song too on her album because she apparently had a real strong visual idea for that song and it set the tone for her new album so it was very important to her first of all crazy amazing honor i was a fan of hers before doing it i mean it's crazy of course like fan of james wan before working with him and then you know he was amazing you know fan of billy's uh before that and then she was just incredible and you know she's just amazing she's 16 year old girl turned 17 the day we were shooting that the music video came through my agent basically um we have the same agent she really liked the trailer for la Llorona. she really liked my short film and um you know i just uh fell into it and such a brilliant girl such an amazing collaborator she has so many great ideas but really really just like really fun to work with were there any uh, horror references that were brought up i know she's a horror fan was there anything that she brought up that you know it was funny she actually wanted to do this scene in the maiden where the girl is uh, yanked back and oh yeah. great yes. scene. <laughs> it's funny because it just it didn't quite work for the song and there was a couple other things with it oh there was a reference for the music video which i cannot disclose because it was like her reference told in confidence it wouldn't be appropriate the funny thing is what I loved about it is it's like it was a totally inappropriate reference in terms of, 
<laughs> not, not like it was, but like just like in my like, I'll just like you know reference like the mission for a uh, horror movie soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, that is a real deep dive. Was it, really was it like Seven that. and Zodiac? <laughs> yeah, it was Seven and Zodiac. <laughs> What's funny about that with like when I sat down with uh, James and New Line for uh, when we were talking about Conjuring Three, I was like, guys, remember last time when I pitched <laughs> Seven and Zodiac? <laughs> we're doing Seven and Zodiac. Conjuring Three. <laughs> hey, the pitch worked the first time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of James, uh, he is known to come in. It was Annabelle Creation. What was the other one? The first Annabelle movie. He'll come in and do a little like uh, he'll direct the scene in the movie. Did he direct the scene in your movie? Didn't direct a scene, but he was there um, throughout the process. You know, he was one of the uh, the biggest supporters, and I think that would have been an honor. He was juggling a, a lot of things. He was finishing right. up Aquaman, and that was not a small movie. Great supporter. Great in um, guiding me with the uh, building the monster. You couldn't ask for a better ally in terms of um, making a monster. He's like one of the... uh the master monster makers at this time. I know you're yeah. a big Haunted Mansion fan. Have you, you done? Know it. I know it. Have you done any of the other Haunted Mansions like in Paris or Florida or have you just done Disneyland? I've done the one in Florida. I don't really remember. I know there was differences. I don't really remember any of the differences. I've never been to Disneyland Paris. Oh. Even though my wife would love to. Disneyland Paris. The Phantom Manor it's called there. I believe it's got a Wild West what? contingent to that version That's of the ride. Weird. And Vincent Price used to voice it, which That's is cool. really cool. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite ghost in the Haunted Mansion or a favorite part of the ride? You know, my favorite part is the elevator down. <sighs> I love yes. like that sinking feeling. It is just such an also it just an elegant design because you're like, okay, well, the, a lot of it must be underground or something. And they probably were debating about how do we get people down below and let's build a sequence. Right. Let's make it an elevator. It'll be. <laughs> so I just love that innovation, you know, where it's like you have this problem that you have to solve. And it's like they just came up with a really because it's it could have been like escalators down. Right. How lame would that right. be? Right. <laughs> solve it with story. <laughs> right? Have you taken your kids to the Haunted Mansion yet? No. Oh, they're too scared. We've taken them really? to Disneyland. Okay. It's funny because we were actually in Disneyland when we found out we were having our first child. Well, found out she was a girl. My wife is, of course, pregnant, but like the doctor called with the results and we were, uh, I think, right by the train or something in um, New Orleans Square or something. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we were going to do like a whole reveal cake. This is not what your audience wants to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, Lauren's all about it. I'm all about it. Please tell me. I love stories like that. Boo crew reveal cake. Let's talk about that. No, people do crazy reveals at Disneyland. Like, I'm on this uh, Facebook page, and people are always asking and showing their reveals, and it's crazy. Lots of time and energy is into that. That's funny. Well, yeah, no, we had it all coordinated. We were going to get, like, my dad, like, bring it to the baker and make a cake, but then we got the news in Disneyland, and we were like, just tell us. <laughs> we had no patience. Did you know the sex of your second baby or did you keep it a surprise? Oh, we, we're totally impatient. We like, we get the call and we're like, just tell us right now. <laughs> if you ever have a third, I suggest waiting because it was the funnest surprise. We waited with three and four to find out and it was just insane. Yeah, there's probably no bigger surprise in life than figuring that out. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. That's awesome. <laughs> I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the value of comedy in horror in both the maiden and la llorona there's comedy twist there's moments that are used to great effect 
Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I think that's essential. You know, I um, like a movie that's fun. And I think that especially I love a, a scary movie that's fun. And, you know, that has those moments of relief and charm to it. It's like, I don't know. I love like Evil Dead. I love those kind of more even comedy horror, even though I don't know if that's exactly my sensibility. But with both of those things and definitely with La Llorona, you know, I knew that I, I knew with, with La Llorona, I wanted um, Raymond's character, Raphael, to definitely be kind of this like roguish Han Solo kind of you don't know if you can trust him <laughs> yes, right. yeah. kind of like dangerous <laughs> yeah. um, up until in you're questioning that for like a good chunk um, as he's kind of coming in and so I just thought we could have some fun with that and Raymond totally captured that so. he nailed it yeah. yeah he was perfect yeah, his delivery so good <laughs> <laughs> such a great character on uh, Breaking Bad yeah right you know, just, you know saying you know what's scarier than La Llorona is catching Tuco in your rearview mirror trying to hide you know kidnap you <laughs> go, get, go make meth in the desert <laughs> <laughs> That's the sequel. <laughs> yeah, I think Tuco was one of the real reasons. I mean, we talked about that a lot. You know, when he came on board, I was like, I love that character. It is like, we can't do Tuco exactly. <laughs> right. What about Kermdero <laughs> Tuco? You know, can we do like something a little roguish, a little dangerous, you know? And I think he really captured that. It is funny, like realizing with that also, you know, because Breaking Bad totally inspired the Maiden, even though, again, strange reference, but the idea of this taking the, uh, the side of a villain or the side of someone who does something terrible. I think it's really fun. Breaking Bad is a real estate agent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of uh, great directors uh, moving on to TV, doing series like on Netflix. Would you ever think about maybe doing a series on Netflix? You know, I got to be honest, I, I feel so lucky right now doing um, features. I mean, I think that there's something so sacred and amazing about the theater going experience. I think now there's so many distractions. There's so many great streaming options. It's kind of like a great moment for cinema about like why is it essential why do we need to go to the theaters and actually think that horror movies really capture what makes i think that's why there's this renaissance right now of horror movies is because it's going to a theater and being scared and you know being scared with strangers i think that's really fun it really amplifies the experience i would love to keep on doing that as long as possible and i'll say that la llorona is a perfect theatrical experience the screening that we were at the crowd was super engaged it's one of those movies that is just designed to yell back at the screen the one sequence in particular where you're you're just no no don't (laughs) (laughs) it's so engaging it's so it's just it's a great theatrical experience i highly recommend people see it in the theater well thank you guys i really uh, appreciate that all awesome. right thank you right on you. go see la Yorona. Yeah. thank you so much thank, thank you guys awesome. so great we are facing an evil it has no bells that was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 43. Special thanks to our guest, Michael Shavs. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter, at Michael Shavs. Go check out the Billie Eilish video he directed, Bury a Friend. Seek out his horror short, The Maiden, and definitely go and see The Curse of La Llorona in theaters everywhere, April 19th. If you're listening to this the week of release, if not, go see it anyway. It's such a fun time. Till next time, Trevor the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb Leone D'Antonio Lauren and Trevor Shand Austin Wilkin And Rachel Tejada The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand The Boo Crew is a TSP creation Donde están mis 
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.